Assalamu alaikum. How are you doing? And welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom in someone who's dope, and we just sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, Dr. Will. Now, today's guest is Annie LaCroix, the brainy boss lady herself. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, her business. How does she get into entrepreneurship? We're going to get into her podcast and get some other gems that will help you. If you are currently uh, thinking about uh, monetizing your talents or you've just started, uh, hopefully uh, Annie's going to get you right. Uh, so for those who'll be listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Simplecast, will you please introduce yourself, Annie? Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I am Annie LaCroix. I'm the host of the Brainy Boss podcast, as well as the Brainy Boss website, which is some resources for small business owners. Excellent. So I went to your website, uh, Squarespace. I use Squarespace myself. Uh, great. Saw the resources. And uh, I had some worksheets up there. So, you know, I, I signed up uh, myself. Uh, awesome. So I'm wondering, how, you, how did you get to where you are right now, right? So when you were growing up, what did you think you would be doing? And what attracted you to entrepreneurship? Well, those are two really different answers. But when I grew the whole time growing up, I thought I would be a horticulturist. I thought I would take care of plants and grow plants. <laughs> and I don't do anything with plants. In fact, I hardly keep them alive now. But I thought that that's what I was going to do. And I was attracted to entrepreneurship, I think, mainly because I grew up with a father that owned his own business. And it's all I ever knew. And when I started to get into the workforce, I just realized I wasn't a great employee and I did better off working for myself. So that, that was something I realized early on. And I think it's just from growing up with a dad who always owned a business. Wow. Nature is beautiful. I look at plants and I go, yes. However, I'm in Mississippi. So uh, I try to stay out of grass. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we have stuff in Mississippi that when it bites, it bites for real. Uh, so yeah. I, I'm, I, <laughs> I may need to, you know, hit, you know, hit the Boston or, or, or Rhode Island or somewhere. And, you know, yeah. uh, Mon well, no, Montana got stuff that bites too. Uh, you know, get, and it's, uh, you know, never mind. Uh, but I, it, it's interesting for you to say, for the culturalist, to entrepreneur like right. i never like, I'm like, uh, like i never look at those and like oh these are connecting um, no. um i mean you could open up a nursery but i'm just saying that you know it's different um and i'm glad it's interesting because you know i want to before we go on the next question you mentioned how you didn't work well with others in the workplace in terms of it just wasn't for you yes right how does someone know that? Oh, I think that's a great question. But I, when I first started, you know, the first job I had, the, the boss was wrong, right? So I quit. 
The second job I had, the boss was wrong, so I quit. The third job I had, the boss was wrong. Well, then I started to see a theme. I was the common denominator, and then I looked back, and now being the boss, <laughs> I look back and I see what they were doing. But when I was young and knew everything, because you know, as we do when we're in our early, late teens, early 20s, we know everything, I really thought that they just didn't understand what they were doing. And it turned out that I just wasn't a great employee, wasn't a great follower, I really prefer to lead. And so when I realized that I was the common denominator in my jobs going sideways, it made me really think about why that was. And I realized that I needed to be in charge of my own thing. And I would, you know, I'd love to go back and apologize to those bosses, but, <laughs> um, but that's why, just because the same thing can't be happening to me. And when the same thing happens over and over again, you've got to look at your contribution to it. Mm. So, Talk to us about the name Brainy Boss. Because I, I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> what does your company offer? And how did you discover your niche? Well, basically what I do is I help small business owners work their business smarter. And I discovered this niche because... I had spent a lot of time just being a workaholic, working all the time to the point that I got quite sick. And I realized that, and I didn't really do anything else. I had no life. I had no friends. I, I just worked and I worked all the time. But I got to the point where I realized that that wasn't enough and I wanted more. And so I kind of had to teach myself a better way of doing business. And I realized that you can be smarter. You can be brainier about how you do business and have it all. You can have a business, but you can have time outside of the business and you can have friends and have relationships. And I've been working with small business owners for over a decade. And I just wanted to teach them what I had learned about a better way to do it. And Brainy kind of came in because I love neuroscience. I love thinking about how our neuroscience impacts, how our mindset impacts what we do, how we can train our brains to be better and that our mindset can be better. So it kind of combined everything that I love, smarter business, using your brain to be smarter and being a smarter boss. So as I was going through your website and I was looking at resources and and you're a speaker mm -hmm. i saw courses mm -hmm. interesting because i know there are a lot of people who run digital businesses who are now talking about courses and you know pat flynn has courses he talks about courses and other people so what motivated you to get in the online course game well, I've been a teacher in the real world for about 12 years, and I love teaching. And so the idea of being able to, I get a lot of energy from teaching. So the idea of being able to take that to even more people in the online space made me really excited. And so to me, it was an easy leap. I already teach, and now I just was able to teach in a different way. And besides, you can do it in your pajamas, in the comfort of your own home. And I, I like that. I enjoy being comfortable while working. <laughs> hmm. So I want to throw this out there to you because there are people who do these courses and they don't have an educational background. They don't have an understanding of uh, teaching and learning or what 
can they do to design that course in a way that would encourage course completion? Mm -hmm. But they for sure are charging you. Right. You, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like that's more than my mortgage around here for some of these course courses. And I'm not saying they're, you know, not doing it in, in the right way. You know, I don't want to throw shade on people like that, but I do see where these courses are out here, but I don't see the transformation in mind right. or in there. So coming from your background as an educator, how did you approach the courses that you designed in a way to where your focus was not on the profit, but on your learners right. actually being a different person at the end of the course? Oh, I just love that question. And I think it's so important. I think knowing what it's like to be in a classroom and see the excitement of your learners really helps a lot, right? So when if you haven't had that experience, I think it's hard to translate because teaching needs to be about what they are going to get out of it, what they, and how they're going to get out of it and how they're going to be changed from getting it. Teaching isn't about, I have knowledge and I just feel like telling everybody how much knowledge I have. And I think sometimes people make courses again, uh, you know, I don't want to throw shade either, but with the idea that they say, I know how to do this thing. So I'm just going to talk about doing it but you're not thinking about how people learn or how people take in the information or you're not presenting to them how they're going to be transformed by what they're getting out of this. And, and I think that you really know that from being in a classroom and seeing students' eyes light up and seeing them get excited when they get a concept and knowing that rephrasing things in different ways really helps concepts get cemented. And, um, so I don't, I probably didn't really answer your question, but I think that having, knowing what it's like to see a student very excited, I try to never forget that when I'm recording a course. I try to record it as if I'm talking to a live student who is going to get their eyes lit up by the transformation that they can find in the course, whether it's learning a new skill or whether it's changing their mindset or whatever. So I do think it's harder for people that haven't had that experience because teaching, as you know, is not just putting knowledge out. It's putting information out in a way that someone else can pick it up and utilize it. Mm. I love it. I so love it. Uh, I know that I remember my first client. Uh, it came literally by God. I had nothing to do with it. I'm having a conversation with someone, assistant superintendent, and he just said, oh, by the way, is this something you do? I said, what do you mean? Like for my day job or away from my day job? He was like, away from your day job. And then he came to one of my sessions at the conference. And I was like, hey, is this a job interview or something? He said, yeah, yeah sort of. And after the session, you know, he said, we will be in touch. And he did. And I enjoyed that first big old check. Uh, so I, I'm like, I should have framed it, I guess. But uh, tell us about your first client. What, what was that experience like? You know, I, 
I was thinking about that question and I was thinking that's a hard one for me to answer because I think I had a lot of clients before anybody was paying me. I just love to help people with business. And what I realized is I realized after some time, a couple of years, that that's just what I was doing. And people would start to say to me, oh, that's what you do though, right? And I started to realize, oh, it is what I do. But I hadn't done it. I was doing it on the side. I was working with my graduates that were, that needed help. I wasn't charging. So I, in a lot of ways I had a lot of clients and I, and I love doing it so much that I remember when I got my first paying client, I did have to get over that guilt because I was like, but I, I always have done this. I like doing it. So to me, there was that I had to change my mentality about saying it was okay to charge for it even though I was also enjoying it. So I didn't have maybe that initial feeling of, yeah, right on, I got money. I had that feeling of like, I've done this for free for so long, should I really charge for it? Um, so that took me a minute to shift into it. And then I realized that people, people were telling me what a value they were getting from it. I do remember that client, maybe it was my second client actually, but that, I remember one of my first or second clients said to me, wow, you are worth every penny. I would have paid you so much more. And that was a light bulb moment to me because I didn't, I maybe didn't have that value on myself yet. And so when the other person had used my services and told me that it was worth every penny, it made me realize that this was something I could continue to do and really help other people out. So it wasn't as like, you know, it wasn't as, as big of a transformational story, but I remember it. I remember when it shifted. Let's stick with that mindset for a minute because I have received pushback about the work that I'm doing on Twitter, talking about educators monetizing their talents with my documentary, with what I'm talking about, because I, I am all about not being taken advantage of. And, yeah. and there are a lot of, for-profit companies that they have these programs where they recruit educators to, you know, write about them, present at conferences about their product, uh, talk about them, participate in Twitter chats. And, you know, they'll give out, you know, a jacket, a t-shirt or, or, or something, but no check. Mm -hmm. um, I believe if you're doing all that type of work, you need to get a check. But then there's educators who with that say, I don't believe in charging anyone like this yeah. knowledge should be for free. Why are you charging another educator for that lesson plan? Why are you, you doing this? Because, you know, we didn't do, we don't do this for money. Talk to talk, talk, you know, expound on the mindset, you know, that journey you had to go through yeah. of understanding that, it was okay, right, for you to actually make money off of the knowledge and skills that you have. Well, I, yeah, absolutely. My mindset's completely different than it used to be. Now I really agree with you. I just like, no, I have something and I'm not going to do it for free anymore because it is valuable. And really, in my feeling, you could find the skills, maybe you could find that information. Like I might be able to tell you something that you could find on the internet, but what you're really paying for is my experience because I've been an entrepreneur for 20 years. I've been an educator for 12 and that 
you've just, you just see a lot more. And so I look at how much time I can save you by you getting to benefit from my experience and my mistakes that I've made or, or just saying, I can save you this time of learning that. And now I feel that it's so valuable, but getting over that mindset was hard because I think just naturally there's this thing that if you love what you're doing, it's different from getting paid rather than it can be both. It can be both. You can love something and you can enjoy every minute of it and you can make a profit. And I do think that comes with an ethical level of saying how much profit is fair. Like this goes back to what you were saying about some courses out there that they're charging an arm and a leg and maybe they're not that good. And I do think you have to be introspective enough to be able to say, I'm not just charging just because I can. I'm charging that because I'm putting something out there that is valuable. And because I'm packaging it up and saving people time, I'm really saving them money. And so my mindset changed completely. I used to just undervalue myself. And by the way, I also think that when you undervalue yourself, other people undervalue you as well. I think you're, you teach people how to te treat you. And so if you teach people to undervalue your services, because you undervalue them, that's, that's what they're going to do. So I don't know how I changed the mindset, um, except that I just realized I was doing a lot of that work and I wanted to do it more. And in order to do that more, I, I had to charge money for it. And the feedback was good. Occasionally I get pushback and you know, if I get pushback on my pricing, that's just not my client and that's easy, easy enough. So I'm not sure. Um, to answer your question, I'm not sure how I changed my mindset, except I just realized that I do have something valuable. And I encourage everyone to think that way. Yeah, really, when we undervalue ourselves, I think it's rough. I think it's, we do ourselves a big disservice. Yeah, I, I tell educators all the time, you know, I never became an educator to become wealthy, but I didn't become one to be broke either. Right. You know, so... <laughs> So when it comes to the fact that I have to live a life just like that doctor, that lawyer, that CEO, yeah, which means that I have living expenses and medical stuff and got a car and a house and, you know, repairs, et cetera. And if you have a family, guess what? You know, a little bit of vacation, some braces or activities and what I want educators to get when I talk about this is not that I want you to sell your soul, but I do want you to understand that you have a value add and because you have a life and you have children and you're already going to pick up that second job at JC Penney or Cracker Barrel or Walmart. Why not? Look at what you're doing in the classroom, what you already love, what you've gone to school for, mm -hmm. what, what you already are saying, I love this so much, I would give it away for free. Why not look at it as an opportunity right. for you to still do with what you love, but make you some ancillary income? Right. And I also think that when you're doing something that you love so much, if you can say that to yourself, if you can say, I love this so much, I'd give it away for free. The actual product that you're producing is so superior because when your passion comes through as, as an educator, when you are passionate about something, you get energy from other people 
from your learners getting the concepts and stuff. And you cannot create that. You cannot create that. And so you can make a course that you're not passionate about just to make a dime. And it's not going to be as good as a course that you're making because you love teaching it. And I think that's, that makes that course more valuable. I really, I, when I take classes either online or in person and the person loves what they're teaching, I love the class more. Mm. All right. Now educators, I hope you're hearing this. This is a message that uh, I'm trying, I'm trying to sell to you. I'm trying, I'm trying to get you to wake up. Uh, so you're doing a lot of things in the digital space. And I think whether you are an entrepreneur or not, you should have a digital first sort of mentality because this is where we are in this world. How are you leveraging technology to build your brand? Oh boy. You know, technology is rough for me. That's my steepest learning curve for sure. But I'm leveraging it mainly by being able to reach people that aren't near me by being able to say wherever you are, I mean, I have a, a private mentorship group and I have people from all over the world in that private mentorship group that it's not time dependent. They can put in a question and I can answer it the next day. And so I probably leverage technology the most to make the world smaller in that sense. Um, honestly, I probably don't leverage as, as much as I could but I'm working on that. That's, that's what I'm working on doing, but I really use it to bring people together and create a sense of intimacy, despite the distance that people have. And since you mentioned the brainy boss club, uh, what kind of work are you doing there? I know you just mentioned about bringing things closer, mm -hmm. but in reading it, you, 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 on your website, you talked about how you wanted this to be, focused and you didn't want this to have the noise of let's say a Facebook group. So yes. what can people expect to see when they join? They can expect to see their time not wasted <laughs> because our time we cannot, it's non-renewable, right? You can get money back. You can get material goods back. You can't get your time back. And when you get on Facebook, when you get on social media, you can easily get your time sucked away so quickly. It's not even funny. And sometimes you're just trying to run your business and you need a quick answer. Sometimes you need a quick answer because you're busy. Sometimes you need a quick answer because you're stressed out and you want help and you want to know that that help is good. So I wanted to create a place where you could go online, but you didn't have to go through a social channel and you could go in there. You could put your question and you could leave and know that it would be answered with authority and quickly, and you could trust the answer. Because small business owners, everybody's time is valuable, but my focus is small business owners and saying, you don't have to mess around seeing if this is good information from the internet. This is good information from a reliable source. And in a small group where you're not, nobody is you know, being, mean to each other no one's making fun of each other everybody's supportive and nobody's wasting their time with pictures of food or pictures of cats or what else it, which is great you know i love picture good picture of cat whatever but when you're trying to run your business you need a source that you can depend on and that was my goal to do that because i am in some i don't know about you but i'm in some facebook groups and there is some bad advice out there some real bad advice out there and then people wonder why they're not being able to be successful and they're not they're not getting good information i'm not trying to be you know good for people running groups but i just get worried about information that i see 
being shared there. And I, I, it was bothering me enough that I knew I had to make something outside of that. So you are the creator and host of the Brainy Boss podcast. I, I, interesting guests you have going on there. How did you get into podcasting? And what was the pain point behind you starting your podcast? Okay, how I got into podcasting is just that I love podcasts and I love talking. And so I can sit in my I can sit in my office and I can talk about things I want to talk about and I'm not making anybody listen, right? <laughs> if you want to listen, you can. So, and I love podcasts. So I just knew that I could reach more people and I could share my information. And, you know, we've, we've talked about monetizing this education, but I did also want to give people access to good information in a free form. And a podcast is a great way to do that. So I just, I love it. I love consuming them. I love making it. My biggest hurdle is, was absolutely the tech. I am tech does not come naturally to me and things that for other people are easy, whatever, hooking up a microphone or learning how to use zoom, like we're doing right now for me was a much steeper learning curve. And I enjoy it. I've always learned, I've learned to equate things that are hard with things that are fun. So the more hard something is, I say, that's more fun. That's going to be a lot more fun because it's really hard. And that helps me get over that hurdle. But that was my, my barrier to entry was climbing over that wall, <laughs> that tech wall for sure. And I still learning it. Some things just make me a little crazy, but I'll get there. I'm almost 50, you know, and I just think it's harder for us to learn stuff when we're not 20. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now I want to ask you, how did you work out your, the tech side of your podcast, right? Like there, there are some people, first of all, people, if you're listening, I hope you understand that the barrier to entry for doing a podcast is so low now. So you, low. Can, yeah. you can do it on uh, free programs like, you know, Audacity. If you have a PC, you can also use that on the Mac, but you can also use, especially if you're doing hey, a solo episode where you, you know, you're talking you can you have if you have an iPad or an iPhone, or iMac, or whatever. You have access to GarageBand that you can use. You can fully edit it, add, you know, adding your sound, other sound effects, music, etc. Uh, but you know, with your cell phone, there's an app called Anchor that you can literally either you know, I mean talking to your phone. You can have people call in and have guests on your show. So. There's Zencaster. There's a lot of different things to where you do not have to be a gearhead, an audiophile to do your podcast. And I know people who, you know, they're, they're, they have, you know, 300, you know, dollar mics and mixers and, and like they really go at it. When you decided this is what I was going to do and then you said, okay, I have to learn this tech piece because I got to work a little harder for it. How did you, what was your process for going, this is going to be my method for doing my podcast, especially given all of the options that are available? Well, I did, I was interested in bootstrapping it. So I didn't, I wasn't going to go out and buy all the top equipment. I wanted to buy decent equipment. So I, I knew that I would buy decent equipment, but I also knew that I would bootstrap a lot of it because I, I just wanted, that's how I wanted to start my business. And I knew I would take 
need to take a class. So I did take a class on how to podcast and that walked me through a lot of stuff. But I had decided early on that I would teach myself everything so I knew how to do it, but that I would hire help relatively soon. So I did everything for the first six months because I think that it's important to know the process. And then I started to slowly hire I, I just had a very part-time virtual assistant to help me a little bit. And that was always my plan. Um, there's th it's better for me. The highest and best use of my time is to be building resources and talking on the podcast, not to be doing that be behind the scenes tech. So I knew I didn't want to do that permanently, but I just decided I wasn't in a hurry. I thought I'm going to take it one step at a time today. I'm going to learn this. And like you said, the barrier to entry is pretty low. So it's not that it was hard. It's just that I had to learn something that I didn't learn before. And I just did it one chunk at a time. I just said, today I'm going to learn how to use my microphone and okay, that was that. And then the next day I'm going to teach myself garage band. And so my approach was um, very slow and methodical knowing I would hire out help later cool cool so as we are seeing so many entrepreneurs whether it's full-time or people creating their side hustles because of this digital age we live in you know you you can go as simple as hey i'm gonna put together a store on shopify or offer you know webinars and a lot of different things via an online platform where you, you really don't have to, like the old days, hang up a shingle somewhere. Where do you see online businesses? Where do you, where do you see, the, what do you think the future is going to look like? I, th I think we're going to see more and more online business. I enjoy it. It's, I enjoy consuming it because I can consume it on my own time. And I think that's really important to people, but I also think we're going to see a lot more noise and a lot more difficulty in sorting out the noise because you can't throw a cat without hitting somebody with an online course. So I think that you're, we're going to need to learn how to discern that it's a good, a good course. And I'm not sure what that's going to look like, but I think we're going to start seeing some Yelp type things or something where there's a lot more reviews for courses because you can, you can see some testimonials, but testimonials, you know, on websites, people pick what they're, they're not putting the bad reviews up on their testimonials. So uh, I think we will see some way that people sort out the noise of how many online courses there are. And I, I'm not sure what that looks like, but a lot more accessibility and a lot higher standards will come up. I, I think pretty soon. So be, before we go, I want you, if you can, leave us with your top three must-haves for every educator who is looking to monetize their talents. I would say the number one must-have is no matter how you're doing your course online, never lose the passion that you had in the classroom. Take, find a way to take it in there. You've got to keep that. You have to let, find a way to translate that passion to the online space. I would say get help if the barrier, if you have something to share and you're a passionate educator and your barrier is tech or your barrier is time, get help because you're preventing, you're keeping people from 
learning what you have. You're, you're holding your value back from people because of a barrier that you could fix by having help or, or somebody to show you how to do it. And I would think that um, the third thing you need to have is just a desire or a, an, an understanding that you have something valuable that somebody out there is looking for and they can't find it because you haven't made it yet. So mm -hmm. value what you have, keep the passion that you have in the classroom and whatever your barriers are, overcome them so you can share your knowledge with other people. Mm. And I can't let you leave without you telling the audience, how can they work with you? You can head over to brain, my website, which is um, brainyboss.co. And also I'm on Twitter at a brainy boss and I'm on Facebook at a brainy boss, but usually that'll direct you over to my website. So if you're interested in working with me, um, send me an email, Annie at brainyboss.co. I answer them myself. I love to hear from people. Excellent. Excellent. And in the show notes, uh, of this uh, episode, you'll have all of that information and be able to get in contact with uh, Annie online and be able to visit her site as well. Uh, Annie, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. I, I enjoy conversations like this. Excellent. Excellent. Now, people, you know how I do this. This episode will be going up on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Simplecast. I need you to subscribe, follow, leave a review, folks. Share it, okay? Get the message out because your boy's trying to get Oprah on the show. And I want her to know that I'm doing big things around here. Again, I would like to thank my guest, Annie LaCroix, for coming on and dropping so many gems. And I would like to thank you for checking out the Dr. Will Show, the mobile university for entrepreneurs. As always, people, invest in you. EDU, peace.